0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. In coming weeks, we present several half-hour segments from our award-winning series, The Power of Nonviolence. Meeting the people was one of the most moving experiences of my life. You'll hear Jack Cornfield, author and meditation teacher. He recalls a message given by a close friend to a crowd of thousands of people in Cambodia
1: who'd undergone heartbreaking trauma. And I realized that he was offering them a truth that was even bigger than their sorrows, even bigger than their suffering. He was saying, yes, there is suffering in this world, sometimes immense suffering, but it never ends with more hatred. It only ends with love. And there's something in the human heart that wants to reawaken to well-being and love no matter what we have been through.
0: We also talk with Zohara Simmons, a University of Florida professor of religion and a longtime civil rights activist who's wrestled with deep resentments.
2: What you see without those you think are your enemies, those whom you hate, this is really you projecting from within yourself onto others. Stories
0: of peacemakers who consider what it really means when we brand others as enemies. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. And you'll accompany me on my visit to California jails, where prisoners volunteer to learn more about compassion.
3: You're just irritated from being in that
0: confined environment with so many people
3: especially if they don't have respect for each other.
0: Is there a lot of feeling of being degraded by the other people?
3: There can be, but for me personally, it's not just the the other people, it's myself. Because I know that if I'm trying to work on me, that when I'm having this conflict, the first thing I have to do is look and see what I'm doing in that situation that's wrong. Because most of the time, it's not just the other person, it's me.
0: I hope you'll find the power of nonviolence enlightening. If you enjoy this series, please leave a favorable review at Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out. This Humankind special project, The Power of Nonviolence, is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by a major grant from the Henry Luce Foundation.
3: We're not here primarily to defend ourselves, to show the other people that they can't do that. What we're here for is to keep moving to build a new society for our children. And we know that the new society has to be a society where people don't simply get back at each other, but are constantly urged
0: onward to create something new. The spirituality of nonviolence as a way of life and a technique for positive social change. You're listening to a Humankind Special. I'm David Freudberg. It had been a period marked by heartless acts of brutality, often driven by religious or racial tensions. ISIS fanatics rampaging savagely through the Middle East. Police shootings of African Americans and counterattacks against police. A commercial jet filled with civilian passengers shot down over Ukraine. The mounting violence baffled people of conscience everywhere and cried out for solutions. Then in a storied southern city on a quiet July night in 2015, an atrocity would shock the world's conscience.
3: It's a very sad day in America. It's a sad day in South Carolina. It's a sad day in Charleston.
0: An unemployed white youth named Dylan Roof had zeroed in on an historic black church traveled to Calhoun Street in Charleston and quietly entered Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, known as Mother Emanuel. The young man sat in for an hour during a Bible discussion. Witnesses said he began ranting against black people, then abruptly brandished a revolver. Shots rang out, shattering the stillness of night. Before fleeing, he had gunned down the pastor and eight parishioners.
2: Summer evening, Dylan Roof found his targets, African Americans engaged in worship.
0: U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch
2: met with welcome by the ministers of the church and its parishioners. He joined them in their Bible study group. The parishioners had Bibles. Dylan Roof had his 45-caliber Glock pistol and eight magazines loaded with hollow-point bullets.
0: Charleston Mayor Joseph Riley, the night of the shooting,
2: the only reason. Someone can walk
1: into church and shoot people praying is out of hate. The only reason that it is the most dastardly act that one can possibly imagine. And we will bring that person to justice.
0: The streets of Charleston, pedestrians were stunned by the news that innocent churchgoers had been massacred.
3: And there's a lot of questions gonna have to be answered. There's definitely a lot of questions that have to be answered. But what we hear now there's a there was a Caucasian white man walking to an African American church and opened fire while people were praying, having Bible study. That's that's unacceptable. That's that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable and um you know we've been praying for a long time, we've been on our knees for a long time. Well, but now you know we've the time to stand up. Yeah
4: and i'm so broken hearted for the city i'm broken hearted for the families for everybody that's and to infiltrate churches and mosques and it's
5: impossible it's impossible to fathom
0: at the white house president barack obama was visibly weary from the burden of his role as national consoler in the wake of repeated mass shootings A mood of shock and anguish followed the events in Charleston.
3: Any death of this sort is a tragedy. Any shooting involving multiple victims is a tragedy. There is something
1: particularly heartbreaking about a death happening in a place in which we seek solace and
3: we seek peace in a place of worship.
0: And it may be that only in moments of deep reflection will the answers to our epidemic of violence emerge. In this special project, we're exploring the stories and the personal qualities of peacemakers. What different narrative do they offer for resolving our conflicts? It usually starts with the power of community. In Charleston, a couple of days after the massacre, A church elder, grief-stricken by the violence abruptly visited on his congregation, announced that the Emmanuel Church would begin to pick up the pieces.
3: We are people of faith, and our faith is stronger than the fear and the racism and bigotry that has been demonstrated by one individual. So tomorrow morning at 9.30, we will have our worship service here in the sanctuary of Mother Emanuel.
0: Six women and three men, aged 26 to 87, died in the shooting rampage. Police in Shelby, North Carolina, apprehended the 21 year old suspect. Dylan Roof was charged with nine counts of murder and later with federal hate crimes. The arrest warrant said each victim suffered multiple gunshots. On a video link, he appeared before the Charleston County Magistrate Judge James Gosnell. Before we go into the bond process, I would like to ask, is there a representative of any of the family that would be here that wished to make a statement before this court? Accompanied by two guards, the boyish-looking defendant stood expressionless and inscrutable. Relatives of several victims, consumed in heartache at their bewildering, unexpected loss, came forward to address Dylan Roof. Among the family members who spoke up was Felicia Sanders, whose 26-year-old son, Taiwanza was murdered in church two nights earlier.
2: We welcome you. Wednesday night, in our Bible study, with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God
4: forgive you.
2: And I forgive you. She taught me
4: that we are the family that love built.
2: We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they they lived in love and their legacies will live in love. So hate won't win. And I just want to thank the courts for making sure that hate doesn't win.
0: The gestures of forgiveness by grieving family members in Charleston were breathtaking, especially coming less than 48 hours after the slaughter of their loved ones at Mother Emanuel. To forgive under these circumstances is astoundingly countercultural, but it points a way out of the vicious cycle of retaliation and revenge that locks in so much of our world's conflict and it reveals extraordinary inner strength and deep faith.
2: He has admitted that he did the killings, that they could forgive him.
0: Professor Gwendolyn Zohara Simmons, a longtime civil rights activist, teaches religion at the University of Florida in Gainesville.
2: I mean, I think that that moment when that happened changed things. To me, that is a current example of nonviolence, of showing love in the face of hatred uh, in a way that I think just rocked the country. Um, And the fact that the governor and members of that state legislature, I think, felt we have to take down this Confederate flag. I mean, I was so blown away by what those family members said and did.
0: I had the feeling that for many people, the expression amidst their deep, almost incomprehensible grief, I mean, there were octogenarians who were killed in that church unspeakably, Uh, that the families could express forgiveness, I think was profoundly mystifying to a lot of people.
2: I was absolutely floored. And initially, you know, I have to be honest, uh, I said, I don't forgive him. It was only later when I saw what their actions did was I able to say, oh, my God, that was, I mean, that was God at work. I mean, I really felt that, but not right away because I was angry and did not feel forgiveness in my heart toward him at all. And many, many of my friends, you know, said the same thing. But I think a number of us came around to see the power. I mean, that was soul force at work.
0: Soul force was a term adopted from the Indian nonviolence leader Mohandas Gandhi. It gives an alternative to use of brute force, And it provides a way for principled people to stand in their integrity, trusting in a higher power to gradually set things right. This is not to diminish the need for political action as well in some cases, but it defines the spirit in which change occurs. Reverend Martin Luther King relied on soul force in the techniques of passive resistance adopted by the U.S. Civil Rights Movement to alter the oppressive conditions of Jim Crow segregation in the South.
3: Somebody must have sense enough to meet hate with love. Somebody must have sense enough to meet physical force with soul force. If we will but try this way, We will be able to change these conditions and yet at the same time win the hearts and souls of those who have kept these conditions alive. A way as old as the insights of Jesus of Nazareth.
2: As modern as the techniques of Mohandas K. Gandhi. That is another way. In the African-American Christian tradition, this is where Dr. King comes from. I mean, while he... Uh, as an adult, you know, learned about uh, Mahatma Gandhi, and but he would always tell you that his uh, understandings were deeply grounded in Christianity. And you know, I was in Mississippi for two years doing Mississippi Summer and Beyond, and you know, we would have these mass meetings. Uh, before we would set out uh, on whatever mission we were about, trying to get people registered to vote or whatever. And you heard this all the time, particularly from the old people, their understanding of the suffering of Jesus and how Jesus forgave those who had hung him on a cross. This, this is deeply in, ingrained in the, their spiritual understandings of how they're supposed to operate in the world.
0: You're listening to The Power of Nonviolence, a special project from humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more about the spirituality of peacemaking and to obtain audio copies or downloads of the series, please visit humanmedia.org. Practitioners of nonviolent social change know that to be effective, they must remain principled. In Dr. King's equality movement, participants were trained not to retaliate, even against provocations by snarling racists. It's a deeply disciplined approach intended to arouse the moral conscience of the larger community, and thus to provide a shield against injustice. Nonviolence seeks not to vanquish the perpetrators of harmful behavior, but to transform them to heal their soul sickness. And that can be a long, arduous road for activists who sometimes struggle to brush aside their own temptation to bitterness.
2: As long as you're holding on to feelings of resentment and hatred, no question, uh, it corrodes you. So for your own healing to take place, you must move on. I don't know if you have to... Love the person, but I know you have to give up the resentment and the, and the hatred uh, that you are feeling toward that person if you want to progress spiritually and even mentally and emotionally.
4: There's a pigeon in peace in my backyard He's the wrong kind of bird, but he tries so hard one day I told him you should have been a dove He cocked his head and looked at me with love And he sang, peace in the valley He sang, peace on the mountain too Before you tell a man he's got a splitter in his eye You better pull the log out Sing it again.
3: Remember what it is that we are struggling for.
0: The late Vincent Harding was professor of religion and social transformation at the Isle of School of Theology in Denver. Dr. Harding had served as a speechwriter for Martin Luther King. He was trying to teach
3: something different, which he understood to be closer to the will of God, and that is to meet the enemy, to meet the evil, without being overcome by the spirit of the enemy or the spirit of the evil, without mirroring the terror of the enemy by responding
0: in the same way. Vincent Harding called this changing the agenda. It's a deliberate attempt to interrupt the downward spiral where no one ultimately wins. And doing so in the practice of nonviolence requires a substitute vision, like that in the dream of brotherhood expressed in Dr. King's historic oration from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in August 1963.
3: I think this march will go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, demonstrations for freedom and human dignity ever held in the United States. The architects of our republic,
4: We were there from such diverse points of view, and yet the thing that was anchoring us was our belief in uh, equity among all human beings.
0: Noel Paul Stuckey of the folk trio Peter, Paul, and Mary, which performed before hundreds of thousands attending the march
4: over 50 years ago. And then actually hearing Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech uh, in the background, as Peter, Mary, and I threaded our way through this rehearsal crowd to get to it, seemed like uh, the the chaos was getting in front of the care. And yet, by the time we assembled to walk to the Lincoln Memorial, something had happened. We all knew why we were there.
3: It's a
0: The quest for peace lies at the heart of all our great spiritual traditions, even if that essential message is sometimes twisted by fanaticism. And seeking peace is a deeply personal pursuit arising from our individual needs and history. Jack Cornfield in Fairfax, California, has meditated on this deeply.
1: When I was a university student at Dartmouth College, I was doing science and pre-med. Um, and took a course in Asian studies from a wonderful, wise professor who'd come up from Harvard to start a department there. And he sat and talked about Lao Tzu and the Buddha and Confucius. And more than anything, he talked about what it meant to live from deep values and understand how to be in conflict and resolve it and how to deal with the anger or with suffering and loss.
0: Jack then delved deeply into exploring Buddhist wisdom. He went on to write numerous best-selling books, including A Path with Heart and The Wise Heart. And he's co-founder of Spirit Rock Meditation Center among the rolling hills of Woodacre, California. For Jack Cornfield, the need to find peace and safety started at an early age.
1: Because my family of origin, my father was brilliant but also uh, violent and abusive. My mother who was a wonderful mother was also unable to protect herself or us and we didn't know what to do with all the conflict and all the pain. It was like water on something that was parched to hear those words and so I began to study myself and study the understandings of these sages and after graduating Um, I went into the Peace Corps in the 1960s and asked them to please send me to a Buddhist country so I could find some great old Zen master who would teach me how to find some peace in my own heart and how to deal with the conflict and violence in my family and in the world around me, how to live with some wisdom and some love rather than fear.
0: Meditation practice is fundamental to the Buddhist path, as it grounds followers in an experience of quieting the mind. They cultivate a capacity for stillness and deep silence, the very opposite of violence. And the five precepts of Buddhism begin with the prohibition against killing, much like the injunction against taking life found in the Ten Commandments.
1: It's the central tenet of Buddhist teachings and just as in other spiritual traditions, um, There are these beautiful teachings of compassion and love, but people who deem themselves to be Christians or Jews or Muslims or Hindus may not follow those teachings of compassion. Um, For the most part in Buddhist history, nonviolence has actually been the um, essence of the teaching. Uh, Let me tell you a story. Um, One of my close friends and teachers was a man named Mahagosananda, who was the Gandhi figure of Cambodia, And we lived in forest monasteries together during the Cambodian genocide where two million people were killed. Um, The killing fields. The killing fields. And when that happened, he rushed to, to the refugee camps as people poured out of Cambodia to set up temples for those whose villages had been destroyed and temples burned and lives destroyed. Um, and 19 members, all the members of his family had been killed and his temple burned. And I went to help him. And in these big camps, Sakyao and Kawi Dung, um, hundreds of thousands of refugees, he asked the UN if he could set up a temple in the middle since people had been Buddhist. was a platform with a tin roof made in the middle with a Buddha image that was given by a nearby Thai temple. And the day he was going to open it and we were to ring this big gong around the camp, the underground Khmer Rouge, which was still there, said if anyone goes to this temple, when they get back, they would be killed. So we didn't know if anyone would come. Rang the gong around the dry perimeter of this huge refugee, dusty refugee camp and 25,000 people poured into the square. And Mahagosananda sat in front of them with all these people seated who had the trauma in their eyes of maybe one uncle and two nieces that was all the left of their family, or you know, a mother and only one of her three surviving children.
0: The trauma in their eyes. You
1: could see it in their faces, uh, as you have if you live in an area where people have been through such ter- 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 terrors. And I thought, what can he possibly say to them? And he looked out across this sea of faces and broken hearts and put his hands together and began to chant in Sanskrit and in Cambodian sounds that they hadn't heard for years since their temples were burned. This beautiful verse that begins the Dhammapada, the Buddhist teachings, that goes, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law. And he chanted it over and over, and pretty soon 25,000 people were chanting with him, and their eyes were filled with tears. And I realized that he was offering them a truth that was even bigger than their sorrows, even bigger than their suffering. He was saying, yes, there is suffering in this world, sometimes immense suffering, but it never ends with more hatred, it only ends with love. And this is the core teaching of of Buddhism for thousands of years, and it really inspires people in their hearts all around the world. It is a truth,
0: and The truth can't really be altered even by someone's hatred or intimidation. Sooner or later, the truth will reemerge even if it's been covered over temporarily.
1: And this is trustworthy as the poet Pablo Neruda writes, you can pick all the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. And there's something in the human heart that wants to reawaken to well-being and love no matter what We have been through and when Mago Sananda then led uh, peace walks across the killing fields for 15 years he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize many times um, he told the villagers they couldn't go back to their destroyed villages in the back of a truck or in a bus Um, they needed to reclaim their land with love and so they walked on foot chanting those verses of loving-kindness step-by-step for 50 or 100 miles in long lines.
0: Jack Kornfield, Buddhist teacher, co-founder of Spirit Rock Meditation Center, and author of A Path with Heart and the Wise Heart. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose. Editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, and Bond Collard. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Noel Paul Stuckey and Reverend Betty Stuckey, to Aoife O'Donovan and Crooked Still for permission to include the song Wading Deep Waters, to public radio station WUFT Gainesville, and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media.
5: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.
0: This segment, Part 1 of The Power of Nonviolence, is Humankind Program number 231. The executive producer
5: is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.